But I'm glad you're here because we're continuing our series we've entitled Rescue, Jesus' Power to Restore My Life. But before we get into today's lesson, does anyone just need a reason to smile? I'd like to allow you to share in a, I guess, a, a moment where I felt a little inadequate. I'm going to show a video, see if it can maybe, oh, there we go. I did not know what to do. <laughs> Last year for my 35th wedding anniversary, my wife and I traveled to Scotland. Her dad was born and raised in Scotland. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to spend three nights at a shepherd's cottage. And every morning and every evening, we got to enjoy the sheep. And uh, I, honestly, when they would come up to me, I was clueless. I, I didn't have any food for them, but they were acting like I should have. Uh, totally inadequate. I, I want you to know, as we're talking about Jesus as the shepherd, he's completely sufficient. There's never going to be a situation where you come up to him where he's going to put his hands up and act like, I don't know what to do with that situation. Take heart. He absolutely knows what to do. And as the good shepherd, he's more than able to affect your life for the better. We've been learning that through a passage that we've read the past two weeks found in the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. He recorded Jesus' words. He reflected on Jesus' words. And now he's passed these words on to us in this Gospel. Listen to it as Jesus describes himself and consider the implication for your life. John 10 verse 7 reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he, she will be saved. Now let's pause there. To enter by him means to respond to him by faith. We've talked about that the past two weeks. You can go to our webpage, northforward.com. You can hear the whole message as we've talked through this, but just know to to enter through him is to trust in him, to respond to him. And Jesus says, those who respond to me will be saved. They will, he adds, go in and out and find pasture. That's Jesus saying to you, he seeks to bestow life to you as the good shepherd. The thief, in contrast, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus declares, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus goes on by adding, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As we've moved into the series, one of the lessons we've emphasized and will continue to emphasize is that life, real life, is in Jesus Christ. That's one of our core convictions as a congregation. But I hope, in a personal way, that's your testimony. You know, you've come to realize that life, real life, is in Jesus and in the difference that Jesus can make with us and through us. 
Certainly, within these verses, Jesus is trying to explain that to you. That said, you probably should recognize that as the source of life, we then need to follow his lead. Indeed, it's critical for us to to allow him to speak, to allow him to lead us in ways where we can experience the, the life he then bestows. We have to follow his lead. I think that's indicated throughout the 10th chapter of John. A couple of weeks ago, we read verses 3 and following. Listen to how that's highlighted again this morning. Jesus speaking as the one who would relate to us. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. See the picture of that? He's with us. He's wanting to lead us. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If in your heart you're longing to find life, I would say life is in Jesus. I should then explain, for you to experience that life means that you have to trust him enough to turn to him. You have to trust him enough to follow his lead, his voice. Later in that same chapter, Jesus explained it this way, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now look at the verse on the screen and think with me, how different will the next week be if you truly accept that this is true. Jesus says of his sheep, I know them. That implies he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows your failures. He knows your successes. He knows your circumstance. He knows you better than you know yourself. Now, don't let that cause you to be kind of discouraged. I mean, we put a public image out to others, whether it's on Facebook or into some other way of saying, now, this is what we want people to see. I want you to know Jesus sees those things that you hope no one ever sees. And he still loves you. And he still would say to you, I want to be a shepherd that leads you in and out of life. I want to be there for you. He knows you. And for this to to really affect us into the week, we need to appreciate then that he wants to lead us as we hear his voice. I'm not implying that we're going to hear an audible voice. I've been a believer and follower of Jesus for over 45 years. I've never once heard him speak out loud. But mark this down. Over these four decades, I have experienced his voice inwardly in my mind and in my heart. And the way that that was possible, suddenly I opened the Bible. And as I was turning to Jesus as shepherd, I realized he had something to say to me. And sometimes it would be kind of a gentle nudge. Sometimes it would be as if the verses on the words on the page are just kind of standing out so that I would see them. But he's appealing to me to follow him. 
specific ways. And as I hear his voice and follow him, it's in that activity that I then discover life is in him. There's a fullness that is generated as that happens. Now, through the course of the series, I've been promoting, as you know full well, steps that I think try to move us in that direction. I've suggested that we start every day by turning our hearts toward Jesus and saying sincerely, Lord Jesus, life is in you. Lead the way. I want to experience you, so show me where you would have me to go. Lead me. And I've also recommended that we read from his word. So that as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, a chapter a day, we might come to recognize that he would speak in a way that our hearts could, rec- could discern and he would lead us so that we could experience more of him. I said, I've heard his voice through the testimony of his word. That's very true. I've also discerned his voice inwardly from my knees in prayer. See, that's the other privilege that's yours as a part of his flock. You can actually bow before him and ask the shepherd to guide you. I mean, some of you are looking at some circumstances that admittedly are confounding. You don't know what to do. Well, you have a shepherd that does. And if you would bow and ask, he'll meet with you and begin to guide you inwardly. He'll begin to lead you like a a caring shepherd. I want you to know, as he would lead us in prayer, he will never lead us to do anything that will be in in contradiction to what he's also said in his word. He's not going to direct you to act in a way that would be a contradiction of who he is. But see, if you would, think of it this way. Approach that type of inquiry, that type of prayer with your Bible open. You're reading, you're reflecting, you're asking, and take heart. He says himself, we will hear his voice. And I trust, because of our faith in him, we will follow him. And as we follow him, what do we discover? Life. He'll bring us in and out of pasture. Life. I'm not implying that your heart's going to remain in a state of kind of euphoria. But Jesus did say, I want to give you life abundant as you follow me. What I've been trying to do as we've begun to read through Matthew is to point to examples where with Jesus' early disciples, that's what he was doing with them. We were in Matthew 4 last week where Jesus called a man by the name of Simon to follow him. And Simon left everything he had because he saw the uniqueness of Jesus and he wanted to experience that, so he followed him. And if you've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew uh, along with us, then today we reach chapter 14. Now let me say, if you started and stopped, you're not the only person that's ever done that. I probably have started some readings uh, that I intended to do and stopped more times than I can count. It happens to everybody. Sometimes our hearts want to, and then we, for whatever reason, allow life to distract us and we stop. Even if you've stopped, my appeal as we continue is that you'll just keep pressing forward to read because you want to hear the shepherd lead. But if you did stay up, today we reach chapter 14, 
And the reason I, I mention that uh, is I want us to consider how Jesus interacted with his disciples to teach them to follow his lead. He wants us to experience his power as we respond to his voice. And in Matthew 14, there are two scenes that I think are very instructive toward that, toward that end. The first is a story that most of you could probably stand up and share. It's the story where Jesus was able to feed a multitude. Now, the size of the crowd, some would estimate to be somewhere between seven to 10,000 people. In Matthew's account, it's going to mention that there are 5,000 men. It's a huge crowd. And as Matthew describes it, and incidentally, uh, Mark and Luke and John also record this, this same miraculous event. As Matthew describes it, he indicates that Jesus was trying to actually escape the crowd for a while. He and his disciples were getting tired. <laughs> Some time alone would have served them well. But because of his growing popularity, the crowd converged on Jesus. And instead of, of ignoring them, which this says a lot about the shepherd, instead of ignoring them, he responded to them. Now in Mark's gospel, it says he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. He viewed them, this is how Mark describes it, as a flock without a shepherd. And so Jesus steps into the situation to speak to them. And he spent the day teaching them, encouraging them. But toward the end of the day, the disciples, that early group of followers, approached Jesus and suggested that Jesus send the crowd away because it's time to eat. They hadn't eaten anything all day, and the disciples knew they didn't have anything to feed them. And so they recommended that Jesus send them off so that everybody could kind of find some food to, to eat. Jesus, though, responds to that recommendation in a way that I think might teach us. Listen to what Jesus says. I'm reading from Matthew 14 and verse 16. This is Jesus' response. Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. The English translation of, of this verse kind of loses the edge. It wasn't a suggestion by Jesus. Looking at his disciples, Seeing the size of the crowd, he commands them, don't send them off, feed them. Now, if Simon and the other disciples uh, heard the words as I think Jesus was conveying them, it had to alarm them. How in the world are we going to feed this crowd? Um, they, someone did some calculation. It would take over 200 denarii to, to feed the crowd. I don't... We don't have that. Where would we even find enough bread to, to distribute? I mean, what? You want us to feed them? Well, Jesus then, as the Gospels collectively describe, then uh, in, directs the disciples to, to see what the people had. I mean, take an inventory. The Gospel of John informs us that Simon's brother Andrew found a young boy who had uh, some fish and loaves, two fish and five loaves. If you want to imagine it like a handful of food, and so that's all they had. Listen, as Matthew records the, the unfolding event, returning to the text, verse 17, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. Verse 18, Jesus then said in response, all right, 
bring them here to me. Now, what I'm trying to help us to think through is how Jesus is going to bring you to a place where you experience the life that he alone can bestow. And I want you to appreciate there's going to be a correlation between you experiencing the power of Jesus Christ active in your life and your willingness to do what he asks. Jesus had directed the disciples to feed the crowd. They realized there's no way we can do it. All we have is a handful of food. Jesus says, bring me what you have. And Jesus took it from them. Matthew continues. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Luke's gospel says they were, the disciples were to organize the crowd into groups of 50. And taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then Jesus broke the loaves. Now, the way Mark describes this isn't that he just broke the loaves once. He began breaking the loaves. If you want to imagine it, it's as if he has the loaves in his hand and he breaks them and some begin to fall into a basket, but apparently the bread in his hand now just continues to multiply. It's a miracle that the disciples are seeing before their very eyes. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Now, here's an interesting question. Ultimately, who fed the crowd? It was the disciples. Jesus started by commanding the disciples to feed them. He then had them bring to his hands what they had in their hands. And then Jesus performs the miracle of multiplication, but it's the disciples themselves who begin to carry baskets into the crowds of 50 to feed them. Consider just how sufficient it was. And they all ate, verse 20, and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. There were 12 of Jesus' early followers that were distributing. So basically, everyone still had a basket full. And those who, were, who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, when I look at this story, there's a lot that we could talk about. But for the focus of this morning, I want you to consider this. When I look at this story, does it not teach us that Jesus is more than sufficient? When the shepherd looks out on a crowd, has compassion on them, and recognizes the need that's there, by his actions, does he not demonstrate that he's more than sufficient to address those needs? Now, none of the disciples saw that coming. They had no reason to expect that he would do that, but he did. When you look at your life circumstance as it is, whatever your challenge currently may be, would you at least consider the possibility that the shepherd you seek to follow is more than sufficient to address that circumstance? 
I mean, some of you have been laboring to address it on your own to the point of exhaustion. What if you chose this morning to step back from kind of assuming responsibility for it and you turn to the shepherd and say sincerely, life is in you. Lead me. Speak. Help me to know what you want me to do. And then you follow him. See, the power, as you look at it in this story, is related to their willingness to respond to what he said. I mean, if you want to break it down into a lesson, the disciples experience Jesus' power as they heed his voice. Some of us are wanting Jesus to direct power toward our lives, provision toward our lives, but we ignore what he has to say. That's not the way it will work. If you want to find life, you come to him and you listen to what he says and you follow what he says. There's power in that. His power. Now this is one story. It flows into a second. Look, look at what Matthew goes on to record. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. The reason he had to Act promptly, if you read in John's gospel, the crowd, seeing that Jesus had this power to multiply food, wanted to elevate him as king, and, and Jesus wasn't going to allow his mission to be pulled off track. He came to save us, not just to be kind of a, a means of providing food in a comfortable way. He came to do more than that. And he didn't want his disciples to be swayed by that thinking, so he immediately gets them into a boat, and he sends them across to the other side, across the Sea of Galilee, while he, Jesus, dismissed the crowds. Now, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, referring to the disciples, was a long way from the land. Some think that the Sea of Galilee would stretch about five miles in width. And so they're maybe about two or three miles into the lake, and they're struggling. Listen to what Matthew adds. But the boat by this time was away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now let's step back. Think about what is happening. Who put the disciples in the boat? I think it was Jesus. Who told them to go across to the other side? Once more, I believe it was Jesus. And as they're doing what Jesus asked, did you notice they encountered difficulty? <laughs> the wind and the waves became an obstacle. The reason I mention that, I think sometimes we presume that when we're following Jesus' lead, everything levels out, right? Because we're following Jesus' lead, everything falls comfortably into place. We don't have to deal with storms. We don't have to deal with problems. When, if you look at this scene, Jesus is the one who sent them across, and now they're in the midst of a storm. I think we need to presume life has storms. And if we're following Jesus' lead, doesn't mean that you're not going to have those challenges. What it means, though, is you should have an expectation that Jesus, the shepherd, can make the difference. And in this case, we'll see indeed that is what is revealed. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, that would be between three to six in the morning, 
They've been laboring a long time. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. I mean, Jesus made the Sea of Galilee into a hardwood floor. He's just kind of walking across. He has no problem with that. Why? He's God incarnate. He's the creator of all that we see. He has no problem affecting even the laws of nature itself, if needed. So he's walking toward them, and uh, the disciples didn't expect that. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I think I would have reacted similarly. I mean, it's maybe four in the morning. I don't know if the moon is shining brightly or not. All I know, I see a silhouette of a figure coming toward the boat. I get a little nervous. The disciples were frightened. And Jesus speaks up. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. They did not imagine that Jesus would be doing this, and yet he is. And as he speaks to them, he actually seeks to reassure them in a way that reveals more about who he is. When he says, take heart, it is I, what's lost in our English translation, and many scholars and theologians are convinced that this is what Jesus is doing, he says to the disciples in the Greek language, ergo I me. You say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, those two Greek words take us back to the Old Testament where God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush with the name that the people of God were to always remember. It's the Hebrew name Yahweh, which means I am. Well, if you look at what's happening here, even if you look at the passage in John 10 where Jesus says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, the language that's being used there is more than just a descriptive introduction. He's pointing back to his identity as God. And I think he's demonstrating that uniqueness as he's walking on the water itself. Take heart. I am. It's me. Don't be afraid. Unless they hear his words, Peter, in his mind, something awakens. Verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. My wife and I were listening to a sermon that was delivered on this text, and she asked the question, now, when he asked, if it is you, is that implying that he doubts? Actually, I think what's happening here is he's surprised by the realization Jesus can do that. And out of a sense of, I think, surprise, he then Ask the unimaginable, if it's you, <laughs> and I think it is, can I come to you? Can I come out on the water to you? Verse 29, Jesus said, come. Just one word, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now some look at verse 29 and are impressed 
And they would say, wow, Peter's walking on the water. No. Peter's walking to Jesus. Jesus said to Simon, Peter, come. Come to me. See, the shepherd is speaking, right? And where do we experience power that can affect our lives? When we hear his voice and we follow, we act. Simon hears what Jesus says, and he puts his leg over the side of the boat and steps onto the water. And he begins to walk to Jesus on the water. See, some of you, as you look at your circumstances, you need to know if you would allow the shepherd to lead you and seek his voice when he calls you forward, though right now you say, there's just no way I can see that happening. Trust him. Step out. The power is in him. It's in the command if he's asking you to do it. He's the one who enables it to be done. Well, of course, there's a little more to this. Verse 30, when Simon Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he did what you would have done. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Could I paraphrase that? Why did you stop trusting? Why did you look to the right and left instead of looking to me that drew you as far as you went? Now, I don't see this personally as an exa another example of, of Simon's failure. I'm impressed with him. There wasn't anyone else out there with him. He was the one who stepped out in faith. And though, yes, he reached a point where he allowed the circumstances to, to cause him to take his eyes off of the one who can affect his life, nevertheless, he was out there. I would much rather step out in faith and sink a little only to, to have Jesus restore me than never to get out of the boat. Right? Jesus takes him lifts him up and then reminds him, you just needed to trust me. Now, one other thought before I move to, to end. I did wonder, you think Simon would have been able to focus more consistently on Jesus if he wasn't out on the water alone? Wouldn't it have been easier if his brother Andrew had also joined Simon? Maybe John? See, I don't know about you. I find it easier to step forward in faith when I'm stepping forward with others, don't you? See, some of you, as you've been kind of experimenting with my challenges, you've been doing it in isolation. You haven't really asked anyone to read Matthew with you. You've not asked anyone to help you step out in faith. And you wonder why it's a little erratic why your faith gets distracted. I would suggest sometimes it's due to the fact that you're trying to do that alone. I mean, when Jesus talks to us as the shepherd, he often speaks of the flock in the plural. See, he wants to lead us. He wants to help us. And I think 
a positive part of that is Jesus knows that the, the, the makeup of those around us will kind of encourage all of us to keep pressing on. See, I, I think that's a spiritual principle that if we don't admit to, then we do so at our own loss. It's a, it's a practical principle. Let me give you one more illustration of that. Uh, not long ago, Debbie and I don't know that it was the brightest idea. We decided we wanted to replace our flooring downstairs. We're going to rip up the carpet. We're going to put some wood planks down. Um, sounded great. And we thought, let's try to do it ourselves, which I don't have any handyman capabilities at all. But I know someone who does. And so I was able to recruit Don Stansel and his wife Casey to see if they would help in this endeavor. And the reason I mentioned them, see, Don has an understanding that I didn't possess. If I'd attempted it on my own, I guarantee you I wouldn't have made it more than a few hours. But as we began the work, it was so helpful to have someone down on their knees with me and showing me how parts fit together and how we can accomplish the task, though it took a considerable length of time. See, I benefited from the insight that Don brought, the awareness that Don had. And I think spiritually speaking, that's what all of us need from time to time. Instead of undertaking some of the things that Jesus is calling us to in isolation, we need someone on our knees, on their knees with us, right? Just reminding us that, yeah, Jesus can do this. He can help us. I, I know, I say, well, isn't Jesus sufficient? Yes, he is. But frequently, what Jesus wants to do is to accomplish that work as he works in our lives through the support of others. We need that. Once again, some of you started and stopped your Matthew reading because it was just you doing it. You didn't ask anybody to join you in it. You've not been talking with anyone about it. And some of you that have been so faithful, you're already to chapter 14, but even you chose to do it alone. I mean, what might have happened if you had asked someone to join you in the reading and your consistency could have helped been an encouragement to them? I guess what I'm just trying to say is we're talking about discovering this life that is in Jesus. We need to appreciate oftentimes it's going to, to come to the surface as we allow it to be shared with those that are around us. But let me bring us back to the end of this story. Jesus lifts Simon Peter up, and when they get into the boat, notice it's at that point that the wind ceased. <laughs> and those in the boat worshipped Jesus saying, truly you are the Son of God. See, they recognize that there is with Jesus a uniqueness in his deity that deserves their worship and devotion. So, as we've looked at some other examples today, what is our response? Jesus wants to be our shepherd. He wants to lead us into life. Through his word, from our knees in prayer, he wants to speak in ways that we can understand. What is your response? Are you going to just live the week kind of with him at a distance? Or by faith, are you going to seek him? Follow his lead.
This past week, I had the opportunity of sit, sit down with somebody who asked Jesus to save them. Maybe some of you, that's what you need to do first of all. Before you even discover this whole shepherd thing, you just need to ask him to rescue you from yourself. What is your response? Would you bow your heads? The band's going to come up as they come. We're going to have some people at the front available to pray. I suspect all of us in various ways may need to respond to Jesus in very different ways. Specific ways in light of our circumstances. But the constant in all of it, I trust, is that our response needs to be that we turn to the shepherd. We believe in him. We follow him. The band's going to sing in a moment. As they sing, we'll have people at the front from our own membership that want to support and encourage. They're here to pray with you. If that's the need for this morning, if you feel God calling you to take a step out in a way that needs to be taken, they can encourage you in that. You're not in this alone. Not supposed to be. Let's not allow this holy moment to be lost. The shepherd wants to meet with us. Speak to us. Lead us. Father, I ask that through your Holy Spirit you would draw us unto Jesus the shepherd, that we will see and know him in fresh personal ways. We'll commit ourselves to follow him and mean it. Meet with us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.